Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our testimony, Lord, is, is our praise. Our testimony is our praise. It's not a private thing. It's a public declaration. A public declaration of who you are, of all that you've done, all that we have faith you will continue to do. And our, our belief, our hope, our very lives are rooted in you and our confidence in you. You've never failed us and you never will. And we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Uh, Before you sit down, we want to pray together our offering prayer. Uh, We've been praying this prayer for several weeks. This is our last week to pray this prayer. Uh, And then we're going to go back into the ancient prayer starting next week, uh, the first Sunday of October. And uh, so join me. God, everything we have is yours. We are only stewards of your gifts. All of Riverstone belongs to you. We want only for Riverstone what you desire. We believe you want to save the lost. Use us where you can. We believe you want to heal the sick. Use us if you will. We believe you want to make us more like your son, Jesus. Have your way in us. Hear our prayers, open the eyes of our hearts, receive and multiply our tithes and offerings. We trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There are several ways uh, that you can give. You can text to give. You can give through the Riverstone app. Uh, You can also Uh, write checks and mail those uh, to our post office box, or uh, you can drop uh, checks or cash in the baskets on your way out today. All right. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, We've been uh, looking at some things that Jesus did uh, to take the disciples uh, deeper, and uh, we talked about things that he taught them places that he took them. Uh, We'll look at another place that Jesus took them uh, today that was interesting. Uh, Jesus took the disciples into a place uh, of hopelessness and death. Um, Not that he wanted them to be hopeless and die, uh, but he wanted them to see uh, people that were hopeless, and, and, and he wanted them to see that he had power over hopeless situations and that he has power over death. So we'll take a look at that story uh, today and walk through it. Uh, you find it in Mark chapter 5, if you want to turn there, or you can look at the screen. We'll start at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, 
If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, little girl, get up. Lord, we pray uh, that you would speak to us uh, this morning. Uh, we believe that there are things, uh, important things, that you want to say to us, uh, things that you want to speak uh, deep into our spirits today uh, that will change uh, not just the way we think, uh, but the way we live. Literally change the way we live, the way we choose, um, the way we navigate through trouble, the way we believe when trouble comes. And so we pray, open our ears to hear your voice. Open our hearts and our spirits to receive from you. Have your way in us so you can have your way through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this story uh, that we've just read, it, this happens right after Jesus has encountered uh, the man who was demonized by a legion of demons. And if you remember that story, uh, Jesus asked the man his name, and he says, I'm legion because there are many. Jesus winds up casting all these demons out of this man and into a herd of pigs, and the pigs run down a steep embankment uh, into a lake and are drowned. And, and people, people get upset about that because they've lost their pigs. And uh, they actually ask Jesus, the Bible says that they plead with him to leave. And so uh, he gets in a boat, goes back across the lake, and he's met there by a large crowd. They anticipate he's coming. They see him from a distance, and they gather uh, at the beach waiting for Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to see what he's going to do. Uh, they know about miracles. They know about the healings, and, and they want to see. And so the crowd gathers, and in that crowd, there's a man 
His name is Jairus. Now, the Bible identifies Jairus as a synagogue ruler, which means that he was appointed, he was one of a group of people appointed by the elders to oversee the synagogue. So he's, he's in charge of the building, and he's the one that makes sure it's set up correctly for worship and sacrifice and all things of that nature. So that, that's his job. He's also would be considered a part of the larger group of religious leaders who are vehemently opposed to Jesus. Uh, they're against Jesus, they're opposed to him, and this man who has been you know, grouped with this group of people who are against Jesus makes his way to Jesus and falls at his feet and asks for help uh, because his daughter is dying. And he actually says to Jesus, you know, will you come with me? Will you put your hands on my daughter? Will you, will you touch her and make her well? And so Jesus says, okay. And they begin a journey. They begin uh, to move towards the man's home. And as they go, there's a woman, uh, and the Bible says she's been suffering for a long time. She's had an issue with bleeding for 12 years, and she pushes through the crowd. It's interesting what she does. She pushes through the crowd because she wants to do what she's going to do in secret. She, she doesn't want to talk to Jesus. She doesn't come in front of Jesus and fall down in front of him as Jairus did, but rather she comes around behind him and she just wants to reach out and touch uh, the hem of his garment. But it, it's not just that she wants to touch his clothes. She wants to touch a, a particular part of his clothing. She wants to touch the fringe of his garment or the tassels on the fringe of his garment. And there was a reason for that because uh, the rabbis were instructed to wear these tassels on their robes and these tassels represented something. And, and they represented a couple of things really. What they represented factually was a reminder of all of the commands of God. All of the things that God, had, the commands that God had given to his people the commands that they were to follow. But, but more than that, maybe deeper than that, they represented the inseparable connection between God and his people. And so this woman, if you know anything about her situation, so because of Jewish law also, because she has this bleeding issue, she's considered unclean, which means she's been pushed out. She is not welcome. She's not even supposed to be there, and yet she's looking at the part of Jesus' clothing that says, you are a part, you are welcome, you are inseparable. You and I are inseparable. That's what she's after. She's after more than just healing. She's after connection. She wants to feel, she wants to know that she's connected to God. And Jesus says, when she, when she touches his, his cloak, she touches the fringe, Jesus stops and says, okay, who touched me? And you can get the picture. It's a big crowd of people, and they're trying to move in a direction. You know what that's like if you've ever uh, moved. If you ever tried to go to the concession stand at the halftime of a football game, that's kind of what it's like. If you've ever been to Sanford Stadium or to Bobby Dodd Stadium and at halftime, you know, you, you try to go get something. It's almost impossible. You know, you're just kind of navigating shoulder to shoulder through people. And that's what this is like. And so they're shoulder to shoulder, and they're trying to go in a direction, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, somebody touched me. 
And the disciples, you know, they're confused. They look at Jesus and they're like, well, you know, a lot of people are touching you. And Jesus says, no, this was different. This was different. Somebody made a demand on my power. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, power left me. In Luke's gospel, he says, somebody made a, a demand on my power. And so the way that she touches him actually requires something of him. And Jesus wants to know who she is. Now, as we said, she, she wants this to happen in secret. But Jesus doesn't want it to happen in secret. And the reason that he doesn't want it to happen in secret is because he cares deeply for her. He's not just concerned that she be well. He's concerned that she be welcomed and reconnected. And so Jesus stops and turns and, and points her out and recognizes her as publicly clean. She has been publicly unclean for 12 years, unacceptable, not supposed to be here, and Jesus recognizes her. He points her out, and he says, she's clean, and she's welcome. And, and about that, I would say that, that a lot of times we want things to be done in secret. We do. We, we would just rather things be done in secret. We, God, we really don't, I don't really don't want anybody to know the trouble I have. I just want you to fix it. If you would just fix the trouble, it's really not necessary that anybody know. Could we just keep this between you and me? And, and Jesus says, it's better, it's better for you if it's public. It's better for you if it's public because you were created for community. And you need to be welcome, you need to be embraced, you need to be included. Now, as this is all happening, some men come from Jairus' home and they say, your daughter's dead. Now, you can just imagine what, what went through Jairus' mind right here. Can't you? You ever been cut off in line? You ever been cut off in traffic? You ever been standing in a, in a line somewhere and somebody just walked up and just stepped in front of you? This is what happened here. Jairus was first. He took a chance he took a chance because he's a part of a group that's against Jesus, and he actually took a chance of being kicked out of the synagogue, losing his job, losing everything, losing his status and position. He took a chance and stepped out front and said, Jesus, I need your help. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. And then this woman got in the way. She interrupted. Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus, and this woman just breaks in line and stops everything. And not only, not only does she stop Jesus from coming to his house, his daughter dies while Jesus is dealing with the woman. So you can just imagine. What's going through the mind of Jairus when these men come and they say, your daughter's dead. And while Jairus is trying to figure out what to do with this, Jesus says, don't be afraid. 
just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's, it's, it's a lot like, it's, it's eerily like Lazarus, where Jesus says, you know, they come and they say, your friend is sick, and Jesus tells the disciples, let's, let's hang around here for a little while. And then they come and they say, Jesus, your friend is dead. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, okay, now it's time to go. And the disciples are, what? Maybe we should have gone sooner. And Jesus says, no. This is the time. This is the time. If you've ever been in the place where it felt like Jesus was late, you just need to know that he never has been. He's never been late. He's never been late. My, my dad also was never late. My, my, my mom was late a lot. And my dad was never late. And I have these clear pictures of my dad standing at the bottom of the stairs, walking back and forth. You know, back, waiting, looking at his watch and thinking, you know, okay, when? My dad had a saying. He says, you know, Tom, if you're early, you can just wait around for a few minutes and you'll be on time. But if you're late, it's over. <laughs> and my dad was right. He was right. Jesus has never been late. He's never been early. Never been early either. Never been late. Always on time. A couple of thoughts about this scripture that I think are important for us to, to remember or, or just to notice. One is, is the whole thing with Jairus and, and the group that he runs with. He, he is grouped with a, a, a body of people who uh, the leaders of the synagogue and the religious leaders that are against Jesus. He's been conditioned and he's been encouraged to be against Jesus. Uh, so why does he go to him? Everything he's been told about Jesus has said, don't trust this man. But he goes to him, and the reason that he goes to him is because he's out of options. His daughter's dying. His daughter's dying, and there is nowhere else to turn. Remember that phrase. There is nowhere else to turn. Going with the crowd is easy. Going with the crowd is easy. But when trouble comes, and there's nowhere else to turn. Now, the woman is in a similar situation. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and she's spent everything she has. She's seen doctor after doctor after doctor, and she's gotten worse. And she comes to Jesus because there's nowhere else to turn. She, she is out of options. And the reality is, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to have meaning, if you want to have purpose, if you want to live forever, there's nowhere else to turn. He's the only one. There is nowhere else to turn. 
if you want life rather than death, if you want hope rather than despair, if you want healing rather than sickness, if you want forgiveness rather than resentment and shame, there's nowhere else to turn. He's it. Some of you have been searching for a long time. Some of you have been searching for a long time and you've asked the question, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Do I have a purpose? What is my purpose? Why was I even born? Why is my marriage so messed up? How long will I be sick? How long will I live in the place of less than? Less than I want, less than I need, less than the rest. There is nowhere else to turn. Jesus is the only answer. Listen to me. He's not just the best answer. He's the only answer. Now, there are some obstacles in this story that have to be overcome. One of the obstacles is that this woman is unclean. We mentioned that before. She's she's not even supposed to be here. She's not supposed to be in this story. She's not supposed to be in this place. She's not supposed to be around people. She's not supposed to touch anyone because anyone that she touches becomes unclean because she is unclean. And so she's afraid. She knows she's not supposed to be there, and she's trying to sneak up on Jesus. I've done that. (laughs) She's trying to sneak up on Jesus because she's afraid, and she's afraid of a couple of things. One thing she's afraid of is what if people recognize me and they call me out and they say, hey, you're not supposed to be here, unclean lady. And that would not be a fun thing. That would be an awkward situation. She doesn't want that to happen. You know what else she doesn't want to happen? What if I touch him and it makes him unclean? What if I embarrass Jesus right here in front of all these people? I've I've thought that. Jairus, he, he has obstacles to overcome also. He's, first, he has to overcome the fear of being kicked out of the synagogue. And, and then he has to you know, just overcome the fear of being excommunicated from his community because he identifies with this man. And then he has to get past, I think, maybe resentment or, or even anger towards the woman who got in the way. When everything was going right, And Jesus was going to go with him, and then she gets in the way. And so there are all sorts of obstacles. Uh, The problem for the woman is that she is living in an old covenant situation, an old covenant world, but she's hoping for a new covenant reality. The old covenant says that if an unclean thing, unclean person touches a clean person, the clean person becomes, um, becomes unclean. But the new covenant says that if a clean person touches the unclean person, the unclean person becomes clean. 
She wants to be touched by Jesus. She wants to be made clean. She believes that it can happen. But the culture that she lives in doesn't really operate that way. And Jesus points her out because he doesn't just want her to be healed. He wants her to be delivered. He wants her to be delivered from isolation. He wants her to be welcome in community. He wants her to know connection. He wants to make a testimony of her life because our testimony, y'all, our testimony doesn't just connect us to Jesus. Our testimony connects us to each other. Now, Jairus, I'm sure he was anxious. He's anxious when he sees that Jesus is being delayed. He worries, you know, how long is this going to take? Will we get to my daughter in time? And then the people come and they say, your daughter is dead. And then they say an interesting thing, and it's a very intentional thing, I believe. They say, why bother the teacher anymore? And I think really what they're saying is, this guy's just a teacher. He's just a teacher. Why would, why would you even bother him to start with? He's just a teacher. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, they get to the house. Jesus takes Jairus, and he takes Peter and James and John. They go to the house. And when they get to the house, it doesn't get better right away. It gets worse a little bit because when he gets to the house, he sees, yeah, she is dead. It wasn't just a bad report. It was a true report. She's dead. And people are crying and, and acting crazy and weeping and wailing. And Jesus says, yeah, she's just sleep. She's just sleeping. Now, you need to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that she's not dead. She is dead. What Jesus is saying is that death, to me, is no different than somebody being asleep. It's not a big deal for him. He's just saying, Eh, she's just sleeping. And the people in the house just laugh. And if I'm Jairus at that point, and think about where he came from, you know, who, who he's a part of, the group that he's a part of, and everything he's been told and taught and encouraged to believe. At this point, when everybody's saying your daughter's dead and everybody's weeping and wailing, and then Jesus says she's just asleep, there's a temptation at least on my part to think, oh, Maybe this was a mistake. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe everything I've been told by the religious leaders about this man is true. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe he's no different than any other man. Maybe I was wrong. I took a chance. And now my daughter's dead. The question for us, I think, and the question for him is, will you believe what the people say? Will you believe what you see? 
with your eyes and, and even what you feel sometimes? Or will you believe what Jesus says? Will you be swayed and turned and pushed back and forth by the laughter of the people? Or will you be grounded and rooted in the truth of the gospel and the truth of his promise? Now, it's really important what happens next. And you know, if you're walking through this story and you're wondering, where, where am I in this story? You need to know. You need to make sure that you know where you are in the next scene. It's the most pivotal scene in, in my mind in the whole story. Jesus clears the room. If you think the cleansing of the temple was something, if you gave me a choice, you can go back in time and you can watch Jesus cleanse the temple, run out the money changers and turn out the tables, or you can go to the home of Jairus and watch Jesus clean out a room of professional mourners. I'm going there. I want to see that. Jesus clears the room because unbelief partners with death. And he's about to run death out of the room too. So he clears the room. And I, I just believe that when Jesus gets ready to do his thing, you and I need to know. When Jesus gets ready to do his thing in a room, you and I need to know, are we going to be the ones that he says, come, go with me? Or, is, or are we going to be the ones that he says, why don't you stay out there? The most important thing that you can walk out of here with today is knowing whether you're going to be asked to stay or asked to leave. Because Jesus doesn't partner with unbelief. So, Jairus and his wife, and Peter, and James, and John, they get to go in. Jesus takes a small group. He doesn't need a big group. He doesn't need a crowd. He takes a small group. And he walks into the room, and he doesn't make this fancy Impressive declaration. He doesn't pray a long prayer. He just says, little girl, get up. I've said that a thousand times in my own house. Get up. Time to get up. My dad, we had an intercom system in our house. And my dad would stand in the kitchen and push the button. All the kids' bedrooms are upstairs. There's six of us now. He pushed the button. Time to get up. And it would echo through the whole house, every room, every bedroom upstairs, my dad's voice. Time to get up. Time to get up. Time for school. Come for breakfast. And we would just roll over, go back to sleep a few minutes later. Time to get up. Time to get up. And then we would wait until we heard my dad coming up the steps. When he started up the stairs, we'd all jump out of the bed and, you know, that didn't happen here. 
It didn't happen. Jesus looks at her and says, little girl, get up. Get up. There are people in this room who have never believed. I'm not saying this is the first time you've been in church. The scary thing is that some of you have been in church your whole life. Never believed. Some have drifted away from belief because of life, because of failures, because of disappointments, because of hurts, maybe because of COVID. Some have gotten so discouraged that you just sat down. You just sat down. Some of you are asleep. Some of you are dead. And some of you really can't tell the difference. But today, today, in this room and on that screen, Jesus is saying to all of you, don't be afraid Believe and stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. The time for sitting is gone. Now let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that when you do, and I know you will, that I can be in the room. <laughs>